0: Are you nervous about having the talk with your children? (laughs) Do you wonder if too much information too soon will hurt their innocence? Today's guest, Susie Younger, is here to give us some good news about talking with kids about God's gift of marriage and sex.
1: Welcome to Homeschooling Saints, the podcast that helps you create the homeschool you love for the people you love. Our host is Lisa Mladnik, a Catholic life coach, TV host, bestselling author, and an instructor at Homeschool Connections.
0: Hi, I'm Lisa Maladnik, and today we're discussing how to talk with your kids about God's gift of marriage and sex. Our guest today, Susie Younger, is a certified fertility care practitioner in a hospital-based program where she assists couples in learning the Creighton model fertility care system. Professionally, she supports couples in practicing natural family planning, assists those trying to conceive, offers medical alternatives to contraception. And teaches women of all ages how to be active participants in monitoring, preserving, and or restoring their own gynecologic and procreative health. She serves at the University of Notre Dame as coordinator of marriage preparation and is active within the Dina Nicola Center for Ethics and Culture, both as faculty for the Vita Institute and in leading Vocation to Love, a weekly women's discussion group exploring questions of identity in light of our Christian faith and contemporary pro-life feminism. She is a frequent lecturer on campus, preparing Master of Divinity students, seminarians, and future physicians and the general student population to better understand the theology and biology behind the church's teaching on marriage and family planning. At home, she strives to keep her sanity and sense of humor amidst the many demands of marriage, motherhood, and homeschooling, and looks for ways to sanctify the daily grind so that she and her family may live each day with greater faith, joy, and holiness. She and her husband, Dave, are blessed to be the parents of three beautiful children gifted to them by God through adoption. Welcome, Susie. It's so good to have you with us.
2: Thank you, Lisa. I'm glad to be here.
0: Yeah, you, you live such a rich, full life. Um, it's, it's really very, I think one of the best things about hearing other people's stories and stepping into conversation is just getting a window into how God is putting your life together, pulling all sorts of pieces together with your talents, with your interests, and opportunities that open up so that each of us can be an influencer where he has placed us Wow, what a journey you're on.
2: Absolutely.
0: Let's dive right into uh, a question that really is kind of controversial, not in the big controversial sense, but in a small sense within the community of moms and dads out there. Um, when should we teach NFP to our children and what would that
2: look like? right <laughs> I get that question a lot uh, you know there's varying views on this um, obviously it's something that each family each um, each couple needs to discern not only for their family but probably for each individual child as well um, we, we know our children better than anyone and so we know when they're ready. Uh, What I have learned, though, over the course of my career is that we have to get that information out sooner than probably we think we should, and maybe sooner than we would normally be comfortable doing. Um, And primarily that's because if we don't, we're going to be on the defensive. Uh, And so what we want to do is we want to get that goodness, that truth, that beauty. We want to discuss God's best plan for marriage and family. So that our children are formed and they're strong. And so when these onslaughts of the culture of death attack them, they're already formed and they know who they are as sons and daughters of God. They know their, their place. They know the beauty of marriage and family and the church's teaching and, and they can speak to that. And, and so I think as in everything, there are different levels of a conversation that can be had. Uh, it wouldn't be appropriate maybe to go into all the anatomy, physiology, you know, with a young child. But at the same point, we can say, you know, that God made your body in a way that you can receive life. Like to my little my little girl, you know, even at age four, she knew that her body was fearfully and wonderfully made in the image of God and that she could receive the gift of a child someday. And, and she knew that. And so, already at the age of four, we're planning that idea as gift you know, as a baby, as a gift, not as burden, not as, you know, this, this horrible life-changing event that much of society wants us to see it as, but as gift. Um, and so I think you start at more of a shallow level, um, not shallow as in, um, you know, shallow <laughs> mentality, but like not quite as deep, but mm-hmm. get the basic, get it good, get it strong and true um, and share that with them. Mm. And then you can build upon that as you go on. Um, you know, in many areas of parenthood, we seem to wait until a child asks a question. Mm-hmm. But what I have learned both in, in teaching my own children about their sexuality and because our family is formed through adoption, very similarly, you know, many adoptive parents wait until a child asks a question before they answer it. Well, what I personally have learned is that if I'm waiting until the questions start coming, I'm probably actually a little bit late. Um, and if I'm only answering the question that's asked, at least I'm answering it truthfully. So that's, that's good. But many times our children have questions that they're not yet asking. And so if we withhold that information, there can can come about that mentality of, well, what else would they tell me if I knew what question to ask? Mm -hmm. Right. And so, especially on the, on, on the area of adoption, we see that, but I would say also in the area of marriage and family. So, I'm a, I'm a proponent of giving them the bigger picture at, you know, a, a minimal level. But, but bookend to bookend, yes, like God's best plan for marriage is that one baptized man, one baptized woman come together and form a covenant before God forever and always, no matter what, that they will love each other totally, faithfully, fruitfully, freely, right? And image Christ's love for the church in their marriage, and that they will receive children lovingly from God after that right? That's God's best plan in a nutshell. Mm-hmm. Now, do we, do we always verbatim go off of that? Do we, you know, do we start mm-hmm. with that with a four-year-old? Probably not. But if you use that as your framework, then you as a parent know where you can start pulling that information and when you can start going deeper. So, yeah, you know, there are many that would tell me not to teach natural family planning to an unmarried woman. Mm-hmm. Um, for, to, to the original point, I think that when we're forming them in truth and we're giving them good science, I don't think we can go wrong because mm-hmm. we're, we're showing them the creator's creation. Mm-hmm. Um, but the other thing is, is that so much of what natural family planning includes, especially the create model fertility care system and our technology has to do with the medical science as well. And so if we are teaching our young women to understand how their bodies work, how they can monitor their cycles, uh, then we are also giving them an insight into their mental well-being. We can help them understand if something is hurting or something is abnormal, that there is a way to get help for that, to heal the underlying condition. Mm-hmm. Rather than letting, you know, the world step in and say, oh, you're having painful periods, let's put you on the pill.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Or, you know, you're, you're having emotional outbreaks, let's put you on only on antidepressants. Now, I am never saying that antidepressants aren't merited, but a large portion of the young women that I work with actually have clinical premenstrual syndrome. And so, that's due to a hormonal imbalance. And if we balance that out, then she lives a better, healthier lifestyle and may not need antidepressants. She might still, but so many physicians just skip over um, the hormonal balance question for our young women, and even for our older women. Um, So, I think that if we get this information out, we're we're doing two things. We're creating them to be strong enough to handle a culture of death that will come after them, but we're also empowering them with knowledge of their body, what's normal um, on a health level as well. Mm. Um, And then, of course, it can affect future relationships as well. Um, Just... Um, one, one example I can think of is that, actually several examples, is of all of the young women that I have worked with, if they have been sexually active coming into the program, all but one have chosen abstinence after learning how to chart their cycles. They were coming in for medical purposes, but in learning to chart their cycles, they started this discernment process of, is this really what I want to be doing, right? This action has a life-giving potential. And if I'm not ready to be a mom yet, I'm now seeing how the body works in a very clear way. And I'm realizing that this action has a unitive and a procreative dimension. And I am not ready for the procreative. And hopefully, you know, in in the context of our conversations, they're, they're seeing it as part of God's plan as well, not just, you know, the family planning side. Um, but many of these young women have this aha moment, if you will, of I'm not ready to be a mom. And then they start thinking, I don't think he's who I want to be the father of my children. And I've seen that again and again, where these young women once if if they are premaritally active. They they choose abstinence. Once there is no longer that unitive bond, they can more clearly discern the relationship. So, I can make a myriad of <laughs> of cases on why I think it's a good idea. But uh, obviously, it's something you know for each family to discern on their own.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, um, there's so many elements here working too, Susie, that you're very knowledgeable, knowledgeable about um, the the idea of creating. Uh, a foundation of ideas for a young child, and then educating the young woman in particular. Your experience is primarily working with young women, right, teenage girls and young women. Um, yeah, so um, so we're that, so that's our principal focus in terms of the these kind of biological discussions. But right. when you talk with them about, as you said, their capacity for motherhood, what else goes into that conversation? How do they become equipped to see the whole picture and start to intuit? Their, their best way to live in harmony with their own bodies.
2: Right. And, and absolutely. My youngest client right now is 13 and my oldest is 54. So I always say from first period to last period and everything in between, you know, we help, we help women. Um, but I would even go a step back, as I said, you know, even to my own daughter at the age of four, where not only did she know that, that her body was created to receive the gift of a child. But one day she, she stumbled downstairs, you know, well after bedtime, as they often do, and mm-hmm. found me working on a presentation that I was preparing to give. And she saw a natural family planning chart. Um, and in the Creighton model, the days of fertility are identified with a baby stamp on them. So it's very clear, like, these are the days where a baby could come into being. Mm-hmm. A gift of life could be given. And, and she looked at me and she said, what, what is this? And I said... To myself, I was like, oh, come Holy Spirit. <laughs> because it was the first time I'd had that conversation with her at all. Uh, and I thought, no, this is, this is good. And I said, well, do you remember how I told you you could receive the gift of life? And she said, yes. I said, well, do you know that God also made you really smart? And she got this little smile. She said, yes, I know that. <laughs> uh, and I said, well, it's like knowing when you might receive a gift on your birthday, you don't know exactly when that gift's coming. But if it's your birthday, you know that probably a little bit before, a little bit after, you might receive that gift. And I said, God made your body and he made your brain in a way that if you learn to look and interpret the signs, you would have a greater understanding of when that gift might come. And she looked at me with this big grin and she said, I told you girls are better than boys, mommy. <laughs> <laughs> it was just such a sweet little moment, you know, where even at the age of four, she, she, she got it. Mm. And and I, of course, told her, I said, listen, the the boys have a very important role too. God made them very special, you know, but we'll talk about that another day. You know, and that was my discernment as a mother saying, we're not ready to go there. But at least from the age of four, she knows what her body is made for and the beauty of of motherhood and that gift of a child. And she knows that she is smart and she can learn and she can understand more, right? That God gives us an insight into how he created us. So I would start it even back there. But then, you know, with these young women... Once a woman, no matter her age, starts charting her cycles, like if she's using a fertility awareness-based method, then she's going to be able to understand, oh, I, I have pain here each cycle. Like it's always at the time of ovulation or it's always, you know, right at the beginning of my men's seats. Or she might say, now about seven days before my period is coming, the bottom drops out of my world. And I'm irritable, and I'm depressed, and I have anxiety, and I don't sleep well, and I have fatigue, and I'm craving carbohydrates, right, all of these different signs of premenstrual syndrome, once she starts charting, I cannot tell you how many of the clients that I work with say to me, I'm not crazy. You know, I can make a case from even from my daughter's age, but all the way through menopause, right? So, I work with women all the way through age 54 or beyond um, through the last period. And what I'm realizing is that it finally makes sense and they think I'm not crazy and all of these symptoms that I've experienced do make sense and there is a biological reason for them and I do have options for help. Mm -hmm. So... Um, you you know, just understanding. For help?
0: I'm sorry. I'll let you finish that thought. Sure. Just what they need to understand, but also step us into how, just a little bit, because I know it's a complex subject. That Napro technology Absolutely. can help women avoid a lot of the knee-jerk pharmaceutical responses out there.
2: Exactly. And so, NAPRO technology uh, stands for natural procreative technology. Um, and, and it works in conjunction. It's the medical health science that works in conjunction with Creighton model fertility care system charting. And so, it's really the reason that I chose to, to devote my career to it was because you've got both family planning and healthcare in one system. And so, now we see more and more physicians training to become medical consultants using NAPRA technology in their practices. And they are trained to restore the woman's health, to identify those underlying health conditions and treat them and restore them rather than just masking the issue, you know, with the band aid that is oral contraception, uh, it, which wouldn't solve the underlying condition. But these physicians are trained then to honestly go seek without ceasing for the underlying condition and continue to, to restore the body back to the working order that it was created to have. Um, and so, you know, certainly there's a growing number of medical practices throughout the United States, but also throughout the world, which do have either family practice physicians or OBGYNs, both um, who are trained to use this, this system. Mm. Uh, and so it, it really is something that we're seeing more and more women desire mm. Um, and either travel great distances to find a physician who will do this type of care or um, try to form a, a practice in their own community. Pull the pieces together, find the physicians, help them get training uh, and start establishing these nanotechnology technology-based practices in their own community. Mm-hmm.
0: And uh, in our show notes, we'll provide whatever information you can give us on how people can find Absolutely. the one closest to them. Um, right. Yeah, step this right. into uh, more about your, um, kind of the way you're, Early conversations with your daughter have borne fruit in terms of facing the culture of kind of death and negativity and fear. You know, you told me a little story about her adoption response to another child, and this goes to that early formation in the bigger idea, in the blessing of the gift of family and adoption and human sexuality, how we can prepare our children to think the way God, you know, more like the way God thinks. <laughs>
2: Yeah, absolutely. Well, and this story caught me a bit you know, a bit off guard, a bit surprised. She attended a, a local zoo camp, and she, <laughs> she loves her creatures. And And it was about a week after she didn't say anything during camp. It was about a week after we were just emptying the dishwasher, you know, regular family life. And she looked at me and she said, "Mommy, why do some people think adoption isn't good? Why do they think it's not loving?" because she's known her story. You know, from birth, she's known that her birth parents love her very, very much. They prayed long and hard about the best plan for her and made that sacrificial choice, you know, to give her a forever home uh, with an adoptive family. And we are so grateful that that was us. Um, And so, she's known nothing but love. And so, we were emptying the dishwasher and she, she hits me with that question. And I said, well, what do you mean? And she said, well, This girl at zoo camp, she told me that how could adoption be love if I was given away because my birth parents didn't want me, like that I was tossed away, that I was, you know, given up. And I said, well, what do you think, right? She's six now. But I sort of reflected back to her to get her thoughts. I said, well, what do you think? And she said, I think adoption is love. I am so loved by my tummy mommy and my tummy daddy and by you and everyone here and I said, absolutely. And I said, and what did you say to your friend? And she said, that's what I told her. And I said, and what did she say? <laughs> and my daughter said, she didn't really get it. Mm-hmm. She's like, she didn't really understand that. And, and, and my daughter then continued on. And she said, no, it's a loving choice. Instead of killing the baby in your tummy, you can give it its best life like I'm living. You can give the baby its best life like I'm living. And... I was just blown away, you know, here, here at six, you know, at the zoo camp of all places, right? Like my, my question as a mom is how did this come up in conversation? <laughs> you know, but here's my little six-year-old, you know, really witnessing to a new friend. She'd known only a few days um, as to the beauty of life, you know, the gift of, of children and, and that beauty that can be adoption. Mm. Uh, so that has inspired me then to continue on, with the teachings in terms of uh, family planning and the gift of, of children and human procreation, because I highly doubt she's going to get into conversations about that yet, you know, quite yet at the age of six, but maybe she will. You just never know where that first exposure is going to be. And I would so much rather her be formed in truth. And in that knowledge that, that God's plans are good, mm-hmm. that he can be trusted, that he does not give us these these rules or these instructions because they're burdensome. Mm-hmm. I think that's where we as a society of Catholics have to move beyond is, you know, many of us feel either unequipped to answer questions on the church's teaching, right. On contraception or IVF or abortion, like these, these heavy hitting topics. We, we either feel, you know, not equipped to do that or, you know, we just think they're, they're too little or, you know, we don't have to go there yet. Um, mm-hmm. And I just, there's there's such a beauty in our children, just being you know girded with truth. They're going to go into battle far sooner than any of us would want them mm-hmm. to, uh, and so. I, I, I have seen beautiful fruit come of it, not just in my own family, but within the women that I work with uh, professionally as mm-hmm. well.
0: So in terms of empowering families to talk with their children on human sexuality, um, what types of resources, what kinds of maybe training or practice is good for giving parents the confidence that they can see the picture clearly for themselves and then evaluate you know, sort of when is a good time to initiate these conversations? I know that's a huge question.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Well, well you're right. <laughs> and we could do several more, you know, podcasts trying to get into some of the nitty gritty. But, you know, I, one of the things that I think is the best for families is if, if a couple is not already practicing natural family planning, go ahead and enroll in some introductory session in the, in the method of your choice. Uh, you know, you can go to your diocesan webpage, the diocesan offices of family life should have information, find a local teacher that's teaching this and get to know a system, the ins and outs of a system yourself very well. um, So that you can then not only with your life witness, but, you know, with explaining it with your words as well, be prepared to answer the questions that your children might have. Um, And, and so certainly if, you know, fertilitycare.org, and I know we'll put that in the show notes. That's a that's a great option for finding uh, Creighton Model Fertility Care centers that are here throughout the U.S. And each one of those centers will have introductory sessions where there's no obligation to go and enroll in the program, but you can get a one-hour overview of the nuts and the bolts of anatomy, physiology, family planning, medical. That would be one of the best resources that I can give is to attend one of those sessions in person. Uh, There also is a version in book format. So it's called uh, The Napro Technology Revolution. And that's by Dr. Thomas Hilders. And that is an amazing book where it really does lay out the science of natural family planning. But then also there are consecutive chapters facing each of these different medical issues that a woman might face. So it's a great resource, you know, as a parent, you know, if your child presents with a certain issue, you have that as a resource to go learn more and know how you might be able to help your daughter. Um, so those are two of my favorite on the medical side. Um, on marriage and family life, uh, there is one by Ellen Giordano called Wonderfully Made, and that's really for ages nine and up. Um, I think you could use it for younger depending on your child, depending on on your comfort level. But Wonderfully Made is a children's picture book that goes through the theology and biology of human procreation. And it's one of the best resources that I've seen out there. Um, Another book uh, recently released is called Made This Way. And that's by uh, Trent Horn and Layla Miller. And I am in love with this resource (laughs) because they take all of the heavy hitting topics in Catholicism that we are facing right now and they break it down into how to have these discussions with your children, you know, at maybe an elementary school age, but here's how to have it, you know, with children at an older age. And so each chapter by subject, by topic is what does the church teach? How do I talk to younger children? And then how do I talk to older children? So that's a great resource as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, if you have, I would again, check with the, with the Diocesan Office of Family Life because many dioceses are now starting to have mother-daughter teas. So our office does this in conjunction with our diocese. We partner um, in the spring and we do a mother-daughter tea. Uh, The first year we hosted it, we had, it was around 150 attendees, I believe. Wow! And And I started off speaking of just how can a young girl monitor her cycles? What can she learn? One of our physicians, our OBGYNs, then spoke on more the medical side. And then we had a representative from the Office of Family Life who spoke on the theology of the body. And then we closed our session with a panel of teen and college women that were charting their cycles, talking about what they learned, how they were empowered as young women, why it made a difference. Uh, And so it really, it was a way to start those conversations, especially, you know, if a mom doesn't feel comfortable maybe being the initiator of that conversation, it it was a way to have her bring her daughter in a group format, you know, in a way that was casual and relaxed and um, as much as it can be, right, like talking about these topics, especially for our young girls. Um, But then it was a platform then, a springboard, if you will, for them to then dive into other discussions with their daughters. Um, and we've, we've received excellent feedback. So I would say check with either a fertility care center or your, your diocesan office of family life, see if they have something like that already. And if they don't, maybe consider if you might be called to, to form one because you're probably not the only one with these questions. And, you know, it takes a village to raise our children and we want them surrounded by villagers that are well-formed. Mm. <laughs> so these can be great resources. Yeah, especially
0: since they're constantly inundated with, really frightening input about all social and life and moral issues continuously through their phones, through their laptops, their music, and everything else. Um, I don't know if we realize just to what extent the culture really shows up in the intimate places of our home lives the moment we have internet contact with our children.
2: It really, that is very true. And one way that my ministry has, has taken recently is Doing presentations in parishes, doing parish missions, um, diocesan missions, and so doing these parish and diocesan missions, so that we can empower parents to teach their children. And when I do those presentations, I actually go into uh, pornography as well. Uh, We talk about you know good pictures, bad pictures. We talk about good touch, bad touch. We bring beyond the family planning and the woman's body. We go into these other you know broader areas as well. And I had uh, a month after one of those presentations, I had a mom, uh, she has nine children, and she came to me and she said, you'd be so proud of me. My husband and I sat down with our kids and we started this conversation. And I said, that's great. How did it go? And she said, we talked for an hour, you know, as a whole family. And she said, and then it took about another two hours to take individual questions. And I said, that's amazing. And she said, "But Susie, she said, we had one of our children come forth and explain to us privately that they had been exposed to bad pictures. And she said, and another child had been in a bad touch situation. And she said, now, praise God. She said, not that these aren't horrible situations. Obviously any of those experiences are not good, but she said, in the grand scheme, she said, we caught it early enough that it's, it's manageable we can heal, we can protect. And, and she had she, she tears in her eyes. She said, we would never have had those conversations. We are a homeschool family of nine. We don't really go out. You know, we think we're protected. We had no idea that our children were exposed to this. And only because we brought it up, were they able to feel free to come to us. And isn't that what we want as parents, right? We want that, that communication channel always to be open where if they get into a situation where they feel, you know, violated or they feel like they've done something wrong, the first choice isn't my parents are going to kill me. Mm-hmm. It's, my parents love me and they're going to help me with this. Mm-hmm. And and so that story really encouraged me in the need to continue initiating the conversations for sure. Mm, So, giving kids a sense of what God's
0: best plan for their bodies, their spirits, their their families, their relationships, giving them a context then for evaluating everything from the gift of a child through adoption or through natural means to how does my body work and I am fearfully and wonderfully made? And what are the dangers and why are they dangers? And how... And what kinds of lines of communication can I utilize? You know, how can I uh, be as part of a family helped and protected and nurtured uh, rather than afraid and isolated by these kinds of experiences? So powerful to give this kind of information. Our society wants to destroy innocence very young, wants to, on the basis of doing a service to our young people. Uh, violate their their parents' uh, moral foundations, everything that's been given to them by families by inserting themselves in and giving quote-unquote information, how-to's mostly, and access to abortion. And so... It's like what you said, we can't always just be on the defensive and waiting for the questions. We have to take charge, open up that beautiful conversation about God's best plan for our children's lives and our lives, and also, as you said, step into living it out ourselves. Get trained in natural, natural family planning. Start to read some of these books. You know, let it get to the point where it, it fills us up, we start to feel more confident, and it starts to want to flow out. It
2: seems like that's a natural progression, And part of an ongoing conversation that it's not, you know, a one and done teaching moment, uh, you know, that, that our children come back to us, as is the case with their friend and her nine children, they continue to come back to her with additional questions or when they encounter something new that they're trying to fit in. So absolutely. That's
0: great that it starts something friends. that keeps rolling, that has momentum and the family keeps having the conversation. That's fantastic. Um, Susie, we'll, we'll provide uh, your contact information on the show page and we thank you so much for taking your time to be with us today. We know you're super busy working and homeschooling. Church, Mom. Right. Oh, what a pleasure. Thank you. All right, everybody stay with us for our short feature. Coming right up.
1: Hello, my homeschooling friend, and welcome to Story Strands. Let me tell you about a crisp autumn night in 1982. There's a party taking place in a high-ceilinged room in a grand old building overlooking the Hudson River. I am there wearing an emerald green scarf that my grandmother brought with her from Italy. My friend Bill is also at the party, dressed in a sky-blue suit that he wears only on Marian feast days and during the month of the Holy Rosary. Bill has just introduced me to a quiet, professorial fellow named Mike. So, Celeste, did you grow up in New York? Yes, I've lived here all my life. Where are you from? Well, I came here from Pennsylvania just two months ago. Suddenly. Would someone please go out onto the fire escape and bring in the beer? It seems that the frazzled party host needs help. I'll be right back, Mike tells me. Mike proceeds to climb out the window, and with his tasteful gray necktie flapping in the breeze, he retrieves the case of beer. I am smitten. And five months later, Mike and I are engaged to be married. The end. Or rather, the beginning. The beginning because Mike's and my meeting starts a chain of events ordered towards God's plan for our family. I guess the story of How We Met could be called a family prequel. You and your spouse have a family prequel, too, and it's meant to be shared. Family life professor David Dollahyte says that such stories provide children with a deep sense of identity and security because they show the children as products of a loving relationship. When sharing your family prequel, follow these tips to make the story come alive for your kids. Number one, take your time setting the scene. Build up to the moment when (gasps) mom and dad see each other for the first time and are enchanted. Number two, use plenty of adjectives like frazzled, crisp, sky blue. Number three, use dialogue. Instead of saying that someone asked for the beer, be the person doing the asking. Hey, can someone please get the beer? The story of how you met your spouse is part of your family's folklore. It's a story that's meant to be recalled, retold, and relished forever after. This has been Story Strands and I'm Celeste Behe. Please come visit me at CelesteBehe.com. That's our show
0: for today. Our program is sponsored by homeschoolconnections.com, where you can get online courses for your grade school, middle school, and high school student. Learn from the experts and make your homeschooling easier. Be sure to leave a review and share this podcast with your friends. And we'll see you next time here on the Homeschooling Saints podcast.